16 verse 9 says, and this is not one of our texts, but I want to just mention it to you. For the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Isn't that a comforting verse today? For the eyes of the Lord go to and fro. The Lord is looking for you today. <laughs> it doesn't matter where you've been or what's going on in your life or what's happened. Maybe, the, it, maybe you're the only one in the room that knows exactly all those details. But you know what? God's looking for you today, and he's looking for a loyal heart. Uh, I want to read a few verses of Scripture, and they may seem a little bit uh, disconnected or unrelated, but I pray as, as I move to the end of, of my message today that it will make sense to you. Uh, just before we read this verse, how many are thankful today for our wonderful pastors? Amen. Come on, somebody. Sure love you, Lee, and you and Sherry are more than pastors to us, your friends, and beyond friends, your family. And I couldn't love you more if you were my very own. And uh, so thank you so much for your kindness and your, your always attentiveness and the way you've honored Kath and I has been a, a, a huge blessing to us. And uh, I am thrilled to have Jordan and Scott with us today in service, uh, daughter and son-in-law, and just all you folks. You're all family to us. Exodus chapter number 20. Exodus chapter number 20. And uh, I'm going to read some verses, and when I finish, you're going to say, finally. Always delighted to be with my mom. We stand on good shoulders, 50 years of ministry. Love you, Mom. Glad you're here today. And uh, she's back there. You can wave at me. I'll wave back so I just know everything's all right. Yeah. Chapter 20, the book of Exodus, and God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. I don't often insert words into the scripture, but there is an appropriate word that could be inserted into this passage at this point that would say, therefore, therefore. God said, I've got, uh, I've, I've got some investment in you. I've proven myself to you. I've demonstrated my ability to lead you out of bondage and out of brokenness. Therefore, you shall have no other gods before me. Verse 8 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor daughter, nor male servant, nor female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. The Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And if you would turn over with me to the book of Matthew the book of Matthew. <clears throat> We're going to pray in a moment. The book of Matthew, chapter number 6. I'm drawing from a variety of scriptural texts this morning, but again, I pray that the Lord by His Spirit will give me the grace and help to seam it together for you. Verse 5 of chapter number 6 of Matthew. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites or the actors, for they love to stand, uh, pray standing in synagogues and on the corners of streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. 
But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who sees in secret the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. When you pray, make a place. Make a place. And then, if you would, one last passage in the book of Revelation. Wow, we've covered it all, haven't we? From Exodus to Revelation, Exodus to Revelation, uh, Revelation chapter number 3, chapter number 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears, we get a picture here of Jesus knocking and Jesus calling today. Amen. I pray that in our time today, you will realize that Jesus has come looking for you today. That he is standing at your heart's door knocking. And that he is standing outside the extremities of your life calling to you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the unction of the Holy Spirit that's on your word. We thank you, Lord, for this wonderful congregation and what they mean, Lord, to us. Thank you, Lord, for the support of this wonderful family, God, that's provided a foundation for Kath and I and for our ministries. Lord, we're humbled by that and so grateful. And, Lord, I'm not standing in my weakness today. I'm standing in your strength. And so, therefore, Father, I pray that you would open my heart as an oracle. God, that it would release the living water of your grace in this place. Thank you for it, Lord. We receive it by faith and grateful hearts in Jesus' mighty name. Somebody high-five somebody and say, get ready for the word of the Lord. Amen. Now you can collectively say, finally. Nothing like sitting down after you've been standing up a while. I've read you a variety of passages of Scripture, but there is essentially one theme, I think, it's fair to say, that is reverberating through these passages. When we think about the eyes of God going to and fro, looking for a heart that's loyal, looking for a faithful heart. I I correlate that to the passage in Revelation where Jesus himself says to the Uh, The church at Ephesus, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears me and will open up, we won't have to have your people connect with my people. We won't have to have a committee meeting or a planning session. If anyone will but listen and hear and respond to the knock of, of my hand on their heart, then I will immediately, when that door is open, I will come in and we will fellowship one with another. How many are glad today, that if, you're, if you know the Lord today, how many are glad today that you're serving a God that doesn't make you always measure up, but is actually looking for an opportunity that you'll simply open up? We have this struggle in our lives. We want to measure up to some expectation. We have expectations of ourselves and we have, uh, we have uh, assumed expectations of others. And we have God sometimes in our minds expectations. But how many are glad God's not looking for you to measure up? He's looking for you to open up. He's looking for a place in your life. 
And as I begin to think about this, I begin to think about margins. And I'd like to talk with you for a couple of moments this morning under a general theme that there is a miracle in your margin. There is a miracle in the margin. And so if you'll just kind of buckle up and hold on with me for a moment, I want to take you through a few ideas about what is margin. Let me define it for you first of all. What is a margin? Well, some of you entrepreneurs and business people, you don't need people to define margin for you because you live by it every day. Margin is defined, at least from my perspective, it's defined as the part that is beyond necessary or what you expect. It is that over the border, extra, beyond the call of duty, surplus area of something. It's, it's, not in the, it's not in the bulk, it's in the edge. That's where the margin is. In economics, it's the profit percentage. It's the difference between what you pay for it and what you hope to sell it for. And that difference is called your margin. If you've ever negotiated on a house deal or maybe a car deal or you've been involved in some sort of industry where you were selling a product, you often hear people say, we've got to be careful with our margin because margin is where you make money. Healthy things have margins. Can I get an amen for that? It's the positive difference between what you pay and what you expect to get. On your legal pads and papers, there are margins, and those are places where you take note and where you add your opinion, your, your opinions, your thoughts, and your ideas. Margins are where you interact with life. You interact in the big part, but then you extrapolate out of what's going on in the major streams of your life, something that you ascribe to the margins. Margins is the part you take away. It, it's the part where you've lived your life and added your opinions and your thoughts. In your Bible, you have margins. I, I have a preaching Bible this morning, but I have a study Bible at home. And my study Bible, I have to be careful because the pages are coming out and it's highlighted all over and marked up. And, and there's a lot of notes. You could preach a... I believe there's a seminary degree in the margins of my Bible. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about. Because that's where I have my opportunity to say, man, that's good stuff right there. And I'll write something down that the Holy Spirit sticks out in my heart when a word that's logos becomes rhema, I'll often take that idea or that thought and it will find its residence in the margins of my study Bible. I'm on about my third or fourth study Bible and I like them because I keep buying the same ones and I like to wear them out. Come on, somebody. There's something about... And I'll tell you, when I need a word from God, I often don't go to my preaching Bible. I go to my study Bible. How many knows they're the same Bible? But there's something about how I have interacted and what I have written in the margins that just get me there a little quicker, if you know what I'm talking about. It's like that old familiar song. How many likes to occasionally sing an old song? I don't have to think about it. I, I can just kind of walk that path by default because I've walked that path so many times. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Sometimes I like to sing a song that I, I don't have to imagine myself through. I can just kind of walk down the path because it gets me there. It's the margins of my life. So margins are that part that you add to the equation of your life. Somebody say number two. Number two, margins are on the edge. Margins are on the edge. To experience them, you've got to get beyond the comfortable interiors of whatever and away from the safe distance places of security of wherever and out on the edge of, oh my goodness, take your breath away. What's going to happen next? The margins of your life. I always heard somebody say, and I think it was pretty well said, that if you're not 
standing on the edge, you're taking up too much space. You live in the margins of life. Margins are what you have left to invest, to give, or to share. It's amazing to me when people talk about relationships, how you'll hear them talk about after a relationship has failed and has crumbled, you'll hear them say things like, I I just felt like I had nothing left to give. Because you live, your marriage lives, your business is thriving, your life is thriving in the margins, and your marriage thrives in the margins. How many know that this world and the tempo and the pace of this world is designed by the enemy to evaporate your margins? I I, I don't know about you, but it seems like, does anybody other than us seem like you're just busier than you've ever been? I wonder sometimes, I believe church people are the busiest people. I really believe that. And I think sometimes we should wonder, shouldn't surprise us that people from the world don't want what we've got, right? A lot of times they come to church and they'll hear us say things like in the lobby, like, man, how's everything going? Man, it's going, but it's good, but I'm tired. Anybody ever said that? Well, I, it's going to be a great service. Today had been wonderful if I just wasn't so tired. It's like we have these tired fests, how we're all wore out. You know why? Because we're busy folks. And then we tell the lost folks, look, come on, you can have some of what we got. We're all going to heaven, but we're exhausted. I think the design of the enemy, at least in part, is to evaporate our margins, to run our margins off, to to cause the, 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 the comfortable lines that have nice edges to be evaporated and suddenly we're writing all over the place. Suddenly everything's chaotic. Suddenly everything is mixed together. Suddenly everything becomes a mixed bag of opinions and ideas and one, one minute it's, it's news and the next minute it's bad news and then economics and, and then there's this with wars and rumors of wars and, and it's like the enemy is trying to push us out of the word of God and out of our prayer time and out of those moments moments and places that we have isolated to experience God because he knows that God wants to meet you in the margins of your life. If you want a great marriage, you have to create space for it. Can I get a ladies amen? Kath and I, during December, we're, we're both classical music fans and, um, and we like Andrea Bocelli. And so Andrea was going to be in concert in Dallas. And I found out about it in the fall of last year and ordered tickets. Uh, her birthday and, and Christmas, of course, her birthday was on the 16th and then Christmas was on uh, the 25th, I believe. And uh, I decided that we would do spend a week or so Christmas shopping in Dallas culminated with the Andrea Bocelli Concert. 20,000 of his closest friends gathered with us in that amazing uh, auditorium. And I, I'm not going to lie, and I'm not bragging, I'm just saying I built some serious margin. Yes. <laughs> and you guys can say a guilty amen, and that maybe I am bragging. I'll just brag a while. It's like, all right, I'll shame you. No, I'm not serious about that, but... The fact is, if you want something great out of your marriage, you need to create some space and some room for something great to happen. And isn't it funny how there can be a miracle in the margin if you'll create the room for it? You grow your business, you grow your marriage in margins. 
Your church is growing in margins. Let's move on a little bit. Margins are boundaries of sorts. Margins are boundaries of sorts. They hold us accountable to plans. They provide leadership and guide us in, in the purposes of what's really important. When you, when you uh, operate within boundaries and limits, when you operate within borders and frameworks, you create margin for amazing things to happen. In, in a practical sense, if you're on time, you create a margin. When, all, when you're always running late, you can't create margins. How many are getting the idea that good things happen in your life in the margins? Look at your neighbor and say, you need to create margins. You say, won't God create them for me? No, he won't. No, he won't. You have to, get, you have to figure this thing out about God. There are some things God will do for you, and there are some things God won't do for you. And creating margins in your life is not something God will do. You've got to do it. You've got to decide that you want a marriage that's wonderful and so you create the space, the time, and, and whatever is necessary to create margin in that marriage. But in the same way, if you want your business to work, you've got to create margins in your business because nobody gets anywhere ahead by always living where there's no margins, whether it's in your romantic life or your business life or in your spirit spiritual life. Because here's what as I begin to pray this message through and look at these verses, I begin to see it all over the scripture and realize that God is waiting for us in the margins. Why did I read that passage out of, out of uh, the Ten Commandments for the Sabbath? God in His wisdom when He created everything, when He established the world, the Bible says He worked for six days and then on the seventh day God created margins. And it dawned on me that he called, you can read it in your scripture, he called his work good, but he called his rest holy. God didn't hallow the six days he worked. He said, in six days you shall work, but one day will be set aside unto me. And there you change some things. There you adjust some things. There you make a difference. There, there you focus on me. And if you will, I will meet you in that margin. And when we meet together, a miracle can happen. I will meet you in that place. And he says, keep it holy and hallowed. And then it dawned on me that I sanctify, but God makes holy. God don't sanctify you. You sanctify yourself. Is it a work of grace? Of course it is. Is it something that you cannot do apart from the power of the Holy Spirit working in you? Absolutely. But really all sanctification means, saints, is being set apart. All that means is you've got to set it aside. You know what makes your tithe holy? The fact that you have set apart 10% of your increase and dedicated it to God. When you sanctify it, God then makes it holy. The, the sanctification is the natural part. The holiness is the super part. And God will make a supernatural miracle come in your life if you're willing to set that time aside. So we say, he says, he, he says, if you will set a day aside, I'll meet you in that day. God told Moses that up on the mountain, he said, go and build a tabernacle among the people that I might dwell among the people. God didn't say, I'm going to build it for you. He said, I'm going to tell you how to build it. And if you'll build it, 
I'll fill it. If you will set it apart, I'll make it holy. If you will acknowledge me in that space, then the presence of God will come in that space and holiness will be the result and there'll be miracles. And he tells Moses and he says, there I will meet with you between the wings of the cherubim, between the wings of my presence. I will meet with you and I will commune with you. You won't have to wonder about a word from God. You won't have to wonder about revival. You won't have to ask me for any of that stuff. You've just got to find out where it's at and get there, make room for it, time for it, space for it. And if you'll do your part, I'll do my part every single time. When we sanctify, God makes it holy. Somebody say there's a miracle in the margin. God wants to meet you in the margin today. We build our own margins and God will meet us there. God meets people in margins. I was thinking about people through the scripture. One of my favorite stories, you've heard me preach from it before, is the Shunammite woman. Well, that's an easy one for this, isn't it? You know the Shunammite woman that saw something in the man of God that she didn't have in her own house? Listen. She saw something in his countenance and in his demeanor that she didn't have in her house. And she goes to her husband and says, let's build a room for this man of God so that when he comes, he can turn in and be refreshed. And she literally built a space. Her and her husband built a space. When the man of God came, he would rest there. And he told Gehazi's servant, go and get the woman and bring her. You know the story. And she, he went and got her and brought her. And she stood before him. And, and, and the prophet spoke. Elisha spoke to Gehazi. didn't speak to the woman directly. In that culture, it would have been taboo. But he spoke to his prophet and said, ask her. I'm a pretty well-connected prophet. What can I do for her? You want me to speak to the king on your behalf or the captain of the army on your behalf? Or what can I do to help you? I appreciate your kindness. In other words, there was a divine, listen, a divine response to her building a room. There was a heavenly unseen response to a practical brick and stone building this woman had constructed that place became holy because she sanctified it and set it apart. Man, that's easy to preach out of this passage, isn't it? I could go on to explain to you how then when she said, I love it, I dwell among my own people. I didn't do this to get anything from you. And she walks away and then the prophet looks to the Gehazi and says, what can you do for a woman like that? And he says, well, I've been looking around when we visited a few times and I've not seen a son. In that culture, a woman without a male child was considered to be cursed of God. I've looked around. I hadn't seen a male son. Call her back. Listen, he didn't call his intercessors together. He didn't call his prophetic team together. As a matter of fact, he didn't even prophesy to her because what he did was not prophecy. He called that woman back when she stood before him. He said, about this time next year, you're going to embrace a son. That wasn't prophecy. God didn't tell him to say that. Prophecy is when God tells you to say something, you agree with God, and then you say it. This was a divine decree. The prophet decreed it, and the decree is when a man or a woman of God in faith says it, and God says, hears it, and says, I'll back that. And Elisha decreed a child in the womb of that woman. And the reason I know it was something really close and near to her heart because she responds by saying, oh, man of God, do not toy with me. What are you messing with me for? I didn't ask for anything from you. 
You have to watch. When you create room for God in your life, when you create a space for God in your life, when you create a Sabbath, a Sabbath place, when you create a, a container for the presence of God, you better look out because He'll fill it and He'll begin to express within that filling the keys that are connected to the greatest longings of your heart. Things that you haven't spoken, things you haven't even prayed about, things that your faith was so weak you couldn't even dare to believe for. But yet in those moments and places that you create for God where he comes with his presence. The Bible says he knows the desires of our heart even before we ask. Could it be that we could see answered prayers that we don't even pray about because we've simply created a habitation for the Lord? We've built a margin in our busy lives and we've turned a few things off and turned some volumes down and said no to a few of meetings. And Are y'all in the room with me this morning? I'm talking about something that you can do that you entertain the presence of God. How many want revival in this house? How many want God to send revival in your heart? It's like we're looking for a formula and we're waiting for somebody to bring it to town in a briefcase. It's not in a briefcase. It's when you create a space for God. God will then fill that space. In in Luke chapter number 8, I want to, before I close this morning, I want to draw your attention to an amazing story of margin. You ever wondered what it would have been like to spend one day with Jesus? Would that have been that have been cool, wouldn't it? It's like just to wake up in the morning and spend the whole day. Ever imagine what it would be like? Well, did you know there's one actually recorded in the Scripture? I mean, there are lots of events, but as best we can tell, if you look at the Scripture, harmonize the Gospels, there's one day that is recorded. And in the way Luke speaks of it in the Greek, it's very specific that it is a certain day. As a matter of fact, the translators, that's how they translate it. Look at verse number 22 of chapter number 8 of the book of Luke. And it happened on a certain day. If you look at the mood and the tense of the Greek, the idea is this just wasn't any day or it wasn't a collection of events that had been kind of amalgamated together to tell one narrative. No, this was the events of one single day. It's a pretty wild day. And I have to tell you, it was a good day. And I think you'll understand what I mean. Because, okay, the disciples are fishermen, right? They're earning their living fishing out on the Sea of Galilee. And they fished at night. And so, undoubtedly, it's morning time. Jesus, the preacher, of course, has been sleeping all night. While the men have been working. (coughs) Excuse me. And so they've come in after a hard day's night, to coin a beetle term. And uh, Jesus meets them on the dock. And says, let's go to the other side. These men were gracious men. I'm pretty sure they were because there's nothing recorded in the scripture how they were grumbling under their breath. But how many of you, if you'd been in that boat and you're honest today, I I would have been. How many of you, if you were in that boat that day, would have probably said a few things naughty things under your breath. If you'd worked hard all night and the, the you know, it's like we got to row, 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 row your boat back out into the, out into the Sea of Galilee just because the preacher wants to go to the other side. It's like, preacher. 
and they do it. You see, in their obedience, in their obedience to Jesus, they create margin. It didn't fit into the comfortable confines of their normal routine. As a matter of fact, it would have been considered to have been a bit offensive to have to be going back out during the day under the hot sun after they'd been toiling and laboring all night. But at the word of the Lord, I want you to understand, at the word of the Lord, they didn't even know they were creating a margin for one of the greatest miracles recorded in the New Testament. Because when they get out onto the water, there's this major windstorm that comes down out of a tunnel that's literally, it's a, it's a natural wind tunnel in the mountains that connects all the way to the Mediterranean. As a matter of fact, where you got, where we, were, we were, Pastor Brown and I were in a storm like this on Galilee when we went this last time. All of us guys were. And I know you remember, got gale force winds and that we were in a cabin kind of on the shores of the lake. It was a storm like I'd never seen in the Middle East in general and certainly on the Sea of Galilee. But it was no doubt a storm like this would have been. All right, Jesus is back asleep, right? I mean, so he, he says, let's go. Uh, you know, I, I, I mean, maybe he had a restless night and thought the waves would do him good. I don't know what it was. But anyway, these guys are doing the rowing, and the preacher is back asleep. And a storm comes up to the degree that they think they're about to die. They wake Jesus up. Jesus comes out and he first of all says, where's your faith? And then he steps out on the bow of that boat and the scripture says he rebukes the storm. If you look at it in the Greek, the word rebuke is a, a, the same or a similar word that would be used by a father rebuking a child. If you're a disciple, this is a really interesting moment because you realize that you're serving someone who speaks to the wind and warm. And essentially, Jesus stepped out on the bow of the boat and said, Settle down. Who's your daddy? Right. <laughs> it's amazing. Listen, it's amazing the things that you can discover about God in the margins of your life. If you'll be obedient and if you'll simply say yes to God, if you'll create a space and room for his life, if he'll give you a word and you'll be willing, forgive that person. Yeah, but they hurt me. It's amazing how in your obedience you create margin. And when God sees the margin, his eyes are going to and fro on the face of the earth looking for that person whose heart is loyal to him, who will say yes when everyone else says no, who will go when everyone else says, I done gone, who will do what, what others refuse to do. Are y'all in the room with me this morning? It creates margin. It creates room in your life for a miracle. And we're praying for the miracle and God says there's no room in, my, in your life for a miracle. You've got to create some space. If you'll create, Jesus said it this way. He says if you'll go into your prayer closet, that closet will become a sanctuary. And what you say in secret, God will reward you for openly because you've created space for a miracle. You've created room in your life for a habitation of God. You've created a tabernacle in your life that God wants to dwell with you in that room. Jesus calmed the storm and then you know the story. He comes to the maniac of Gadara. They've crossed six or seven miles across the lake so it could easily have happened. So maybe by mid-morning they're landing on the other side. Out of the tombs, out of the margins comes this maniac. A naked maniac. Anybody ever seen any naked maniacs? <laughs> yeah, all you got to do is just go to South Beach sometime, I reckon, or, or, or you know, it's not hard. It's not hard anymore. 
this naked maniac comes out of the tombs. And you know the story, right? Jesus heals him, delivers him of all of those demons. The scripture says that those demons were so festering in him that it drove him out of the city and into the wilderness and that literally they would chain him and shackle him. Sometimes the margins that have been created for your life are not ones that you've made for God. Sometimes they're margins that life has made for you that become a prison cell for you. But how many are glad today that we serve a God who even in the margins of brokenness in life will come walking on to your seashore. And if you will but give him a moment of time, if you will but give him a moment of your attention, if you will but just create a sliver, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone will hear me inside and will simply crack the door, if you'll just crack the door, I will come in, he says. That's what happened on the shores of Gennesaret, the shores of the Lake of Galilee, when that maniac who'd been bound and shackled and humiliated himself and cut himself. He was a perverted maniac, but he came out of that brokenness and met Jesus on the road in the margin of his life. And without even asking Jesus, without even praying for it, without even saying, Lord, somebody help me, Jesus delivered him of his oppression. Now I have to tell you, if it's noon, this is a good day. I, I, I probably at this point, if I'm, you know, my, the evangelist and I've calmed the storm and cast out a thousand devils, I'm going to the house. And I think this is a good day. We'll, we'll wait for another day. And by the way, did you get before and after shots of that maniac? <laughs> for the newsletter, right? Instead, Jesus gets back in the boat. It's still just halfway through the day. They cross again back where they just came from. How many blow, if you're a disciple and you've worked all night, think it's worth the ticket, though, for the trip? Because I mean, I saw like that storm calm, that maniac delivered. Everybody knew that maniac. You don't be a maniac like that in that small area and not be known by everybody. Everybody knew that crazy guy. Everybody knew that they tried to do everything they could for that guy. Nobody could help. And just in a moment of margin with Jesus, Jesus gets back and there's a big crowd on the dock in Capernaum. There's a well-dressed man standing on the dock. He was the ruler of the synagogue. Jesus knew him well. But there's a, look, there's a troubled look on his face that Jesus perhaps hadn't seen before. There's tears in his eyes. As he lands, he meets Jesus there. And the scripture says, Luke says, that he fell at his feet. It's amazing how you create room. It's amazing what will create space in your life. And it's amazing how your reactions can be dramatic to those moments. He fell at Jesus' feet and he says, Master... Now it's not reverend or, you know, I'd like you to come preach for me Sunday. It's none of the formalities, none of the pleasantries. All that's past. He falls at his feet and says, Master, my daughter's dying. But you come. That's all, that's all that's recorded in the Scripture. There's no discussion. There's no confrontation. There's nothing. As they're going, the Scripture says, 
this father creates a margin for his daughter. A father's heart who's broken creates some space. And I love the fact that Jesus stepped into that space. He just stepped right into that space. And as they begin to move toward this house where this daughter is vexed with illness and dying, there's a woman with an issue of blood. All one day. This is all one day. There's a woman who has had a constant female disorder that's caused her to be hemorrhaging for 12 years. In that culture, she was ostracized. In that culture, she, would, she may as well have had leprosy. And if they caught her in the crowd, she could have been stoned. She had disguised herself because she'd heard that there was a prophet and a man of God. And she was going to try to get a hold. Is it the first time she'd done that? I doubt it. It wasn't uncommon for men to wear prayer shawls in those days. Certainly not the rabbinical leaders. Pastor Brown, she'd probably done that 50 times, just in desperation, looking for someone. That tassel represented the Word of God, the 613 precepts of the hedge of the law. And, and with, its, with its cotton tassel and, and, and crimson and, and blue, it represented the beauty and the Word of God. But today, in the crowd, she pushed her way through and created some space. And when she did, she reached out and got hold of the word. Not a representation, not a facsimile. No, she got a hold of the word. Stand with me, would you? When she did, you know what the Bible says. Sorry. When she did, the Bible says the fountain of her womb stopped. You know, the interesting thing is none of these people ask anything. There was no prayer of intercession. There was no pleading or begging or there was no twisting in the circumstance. or even There wasn't even any confessing. There wasn't long treatise about God, I cheated this when I did that. And no, there wasn't any of that. It was just a heart that turned to God and a heart of desperation that said, God, there's something that you have that I don't have in my life. There's something in you that I'm lacking in. Jesus went on to the house of Jairus. You know the story. And it's interesting what Jesus does because in those cultures when somebody died, they hired folks to come in and sing and mourn and wail. They were professional wailers. I think we got some of those folks today. How about you? They're still around in the culture. People get paid and make a living off the misery and suffering of other people. If you hadn't met any yet, you will if you live on this planet long enough. And the room where this little girl was was filled with those kinds of people that made their living off the suffering of other people. I love what Jesus did, Pastor Brown. He walked in and he said, okay, I need all of you out of here. And I'm, this is my paraphrase, but he says, I'm about to make room for a miracle. I got to have a little space. <laughs> So that would be you and you and you and you and you and you and, oh, definitely you. You've got to go. And now we see a demonstration of how Jesus is saying sometimes there are people in our lives that are taking up too much room. Sometimes there are wrong associations. Sometimes they're hanging out with the wrong people and you think they're your friends and they're not your friends. They're there to take space that God wants to fill. 
They're there to occupy you and to distract you and to cause you uh, confusion. They're not there to help you. They're not there to bless you. That The things they're sowing into your heart, the things they're saying to you is not productive. It's not beneficial. It's not helping you up. It's not edifying you. It's tearing you down. You just don't know it. There, it's not just about creating a space. Sometimes it's that. Sometimes it's about hallowing a room for prayer. Sometimes it's about moving some people out of your life. That's, as Brother Brown would say, that's pretty good teaching for a young guy like me. And Jesus made margin. He made margin. Today, if you're here, I, I don't know all the things that are going on in your life. And I've tried my best to share this word through coughs and sniffles. And, but never, ever, ever misunderstand that the power of the word is greater than the limitations of men. And if you'll give God a chance today, if you'll give him a chance today, he'll fill the space that you will create. He'll fill the room that you will consecrate. He'll fill the tithe that you will give. What you, play, you, you ascribe the analogy, and if you will turn your focus on him and make room for him in your life, all the revival you're ever going to need and all the miracles that you're ever going to want and all the deepest longings of your life can be experienced in that secret place between you and God where you say, God, it's all but you here. It's not you and Fox News. It's not you and CNN. It's not you and the newspaper. It's not you and my latest novel. No, no, at this spot right here, it's just me and you. If you'd like to affirm that today and say, I need to create that space in my life, I want you just to step out from where you stand. Don't think about it. Don't pray about it. Just do it quickly. And let's consecrate a moment. Can we do that? Come on. I want to tell you one more story about how Jesus will respond. Come on. Come on. If you want to create a space... Maybe you need help in your marriage. Maybe your finance. Maybe you need a breakthrough financially. I don't know what's going on in your life. Maybe you're just bored with your relationship with God and you're, you just need something fresh and something new and you wish somebody could come and say some sort of magical incantation over you. It's just not how it works. But I'll tell you how it works. It's when you simply will say yes to God and create room. If you'll create room for God, He will fill it every time. You say, how do you know that? Because let me tell you one last story. A few chapters later, you'll find out that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified. He's making his last trip to Jerusalem. It's at the end of his life. And those of you who've been to Israel with us, you know that in those, in those days, the primary trade route from the plains up to Jerusalem went through Jericho. Every time the Jews traveled from Galilee or other part, remote parts of the nation, they would go to Jericho and they would travel up the mountain to Jerusalem from Jericho. So many things that we read about happened on this pathway and this roadway to Jericho. But on this particular time, Jesus was making his last visit to Jerusalem. He would be crucified while he was there about five or six, uh, about six days later. This means he's probably distracted. One, place, one writer even says he set his eyes toward Jerusalem. He is fixated on his assignment. He is in the moment, right? I mean, he is, there's nothing going to get in his way. He's going to finish the deal. 
and the crowds are thronging him. And as he gets to Jericho, there's a little man named Zacchaeus. An insignificant guy in the biggest scope of things. Really? He's hated by the Jews because he's a, he is complicit with the Romans. It's like an occupying army and he's in collusion with them. And he's robbing his people at the same time. He's a tax collector. He's despised and hated. But there's something in little Zacchaeus that's longing for an encounter with Christ. And I'm amazed. I have to be honest with you. I'm amazed at the kindness and grace of Jesus. Because as Jesus is making his way through, Zacchaeus can't get close enough to see him. So he goes ahead of the procession where he knows Jesus is going to be walking and he climbs up in a sycamore tree. You understand the limbs on this tree, he would have been, maybe his feet would have been this high. It's not like he would have been way up there. He would have just gotten high enough to have seen over the crowd. And Shane, lo and behold, in a few minutes, he looks down into the eyes of Jesus who's busy with this whole atonement stuff, right? Uh, He's busy with all this. I got to go. I got things to do, people to see. I mean, the whole world, like the whole cosmic world, the universe has been waiting for this moment. But Jesus stops and creates margin for an insignificant man who's a wretch. Are y'all in the room? An insignificant man who is a wretch of a person. And Jesus stops and has dinner with him. My goodness, he risked his entire reputation. He didn't even care about his reputation. He said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house. Well, aren't you going to be crucified? Yeah, that's a few days from now. (coughs) Aren't the weight of the sins in the entire universe, every person who's ever lived and going to live on your shoulder? Yeah, but right tonight I'm coming to your house. You got a lamb? Man, kill that thing. Let's have some grub. And I know that's had to have been the way it was because the response of Zacchaeus is like, what? What? Are you serious? Are you serious? Yeah, I'm serious. There's no dialogue that we see in the passage. But Zacchaeus throws this incredible party. And in the middle of the party with all these Outcast, I mean, who goes to a house like that, right? I mean, it's just the, it's just the draught of society. It, it's quite apropos, really, when you think about it, isn't it? Because Jesus is going to die for this crowd. And without ever an invitation or a text or a sermon, communion or a baptism, Zacchaeus says, Lord, half of everything I have I'm going to give away. If I cheated anybody, I'm going to pay it back four times. That's what a margin will do for you. And I love what Jesus says. Today, salvation has come to this house. Is this altar any more consecrated and sanctified than the house of Zacchaeus? Is this moment that we share any less crucial or critical or important than the moment Jesus had when he paused on his road to death and said, today I'm going to stop in the busyness of what I've got to do and I'm going to heal you. I'm going to fix you. 
I don't think so. I don't think there's a one in the room that's done worse than Zacchaeus did to his people. I don't think there's one of us who strayed further or struggled more than this little man who met Jesus in a moment. All right, so let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the word today. I thank you for your strength and I thank you for your power. I thank you, O oh Lord, that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. I thank you, Lord, the scripture declares that those that come to you, you shall in no wise cast out. And Lord, I thank you for those who come in this crowd, Lord, and the ones who didn't step out but are standing in the crowd thinking, I wish I had. I pray, oh God, that in this moment of time that we have set aside, Lord, that we've created space, a room, oh Lord, we've created just a little sliver in our lives in this, in this busy Sunday with ice and rain on the way or whatever. God, we've created just a little crack in the door as you've knocked and you've said, I'm calling to you. I'm, I'm asking for you. I'm, I'm here. I'll heal you. I'll, I'll deliver you. I'll change you. I'll, I'll restore you. <coughs> I will make you new. Lord, I hear your voice. It's early this morning. I heard your voice, Lord. I heard the knock. I heard the cry. I heard the call. why I had to get here, Lord, to share this word because I knew, Father, there were those in the room that have an opportunity they may not have every day, Lord, that they may not, there, there may be something could happen, Lord, in this moment that they've waited a lifetime for. And Lord, so I'm just saying, we don't want to miss the moment. So, Lord, I just bring this group before you right now and I present them before your throne, Lord, in this sacred moment, in this holy place that we have consecrated and you have made holy. Now, Lord, we ask that you will do in these seconds that we have and that we share what only you can do. If you're in this altar, I don't, it doesn't even matter what that I know what you need from the Lord. But whatever you need from the Lord, I'm telling you, you are in a special moment and a special place and you can get it. It's for you. But you just got to reach out to God. I want you to slip your hands up and I want you just to simply receive by faith what the Lord wants to do. And if you need forgiveness, then you receive forgiveness. If you need restoration in your marriage and you receive restoration. If you need restoration in your finance, receive the abundance of the Lord. And whatever you have need of right now, if you need, if there's something you did in your past, let it go because that's over. Old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. If you need a breakthrough, you need revival in your heart, then receive it right now. It's for you. It's for you. It's not for another time. It's not for another season. It's for you right now. Gladly receive from the Lord because his bounty is plentiful. His joy is full and his heart is desiring to transform your life. There we have seen a margin created this moment. There's a miracle in the margin. It's here and it's available for you. All you've got to do is receive it and, and enjoy it. Receive it and enjoy it. Receive it and enjoy it. Pray this prayer with me right now, would you? Brothers, you come to the keyboard. Would you mind to come? Pray this prayer with me right now. I know our time has slipped away, but what a sacred moment. What a special, what a special encounter with God. What a special encounter with God. What a special encounter with God today. Lord, we don't take it for granted. God, we don't act as if it don't matter. 
We don't act as if lunch is more important, God, or some Philly, uh, Philly uh, foolishness, God, that we're going to watch on television, God. We're not, I mean, all that stuff can wait. If you, surely if you could wait to focus on your crucifixion, to stop for a, a wretched man, oh, Lord, to transform his life, surely.